52. So Mark chapter 10 from verse 46 to 52. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for what we can continue reading in Mark's gospel of the life of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We pray that we would approach your word today with eagerness, that we would be willing to learn, not just to... Remember things that we've heard before, but to have your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. We pray that you would indeed do this. We might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what we've just read there brings us to a significant point as we progress through Mark's Gospel. We still have a lot to get through as we work through Mark's Gospel. There's still about five chapters to go. But what we see here is significant. From the beginning of Mark's gospel, we've really been following Jesus' ministry. And Jesus' ministry is heading to the cross and then to his glorification. We've been heading to the cross of Calvary for a long time. And we are almost there. Now, the events that take place from chapter 11 through 16, uh, the, the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life, it's a huge, huge week. And it's been compressed into or takes up 11, uh, uh, five chapters in Mark's gospel. So what we see here, we're almost there. Now, perhaps we're going, well, we're heading to the cross. We're almost there. Can't we just skip this bit here? Maybe we're just thinking that this is one final stop on the way to getting to where we've been wanting to get to from the beginning. I want to remind you that every single word in the Bible is important. We shouldn't approach this with just a one final stop mentality. This passage is absolutely vital for us to understand some things that are about to happen. As I said in the children's talk, there were people who had a misconception about what the Messiah would do. They were expecting they would follow the Messiah into Jerusalem. Humanly speaking, we're about to die, but on the off chance that Jesus really is the Messiah, he said he is, we're going to overthrow Rome. That was their big issue, they thought. They were aware of sin. They lived at a time where there were sacrifices, which until Christ's death and resurrection was the right thing for them to do. They knew about sin, but they thought Rome was a bigger problem than sin. So what's the Messiah going to save us from? Rome, not sin. We should be looking at this, and this passage really prepares us for the, the events of the week to come. 
we should be looking at this thinking about what the Bible tells us about the Messiah rather than what we think about the Messiah. Because just like the crowds who followed Jesus, some for the right reasons, some for the wrong reasons, we can follow Jesus for the wrong reasons today as well. Now, I'm not going to say anything else about the conclusions of this sermon. I don't want to do that right at the beginning. So let's jump in at Mark 10, verse 46, where we started our reading. Now, verse 46 is a verse that we might overlook. I want to say we should stop here because this really does set the scene for us. Now, Jesus has been travelling. We've just seen the discussion as to who is the greatest among the disciples. Greatness is in serving, Jesus' response is. Now they come to Jericho. Now, we don't know how long they were in Jericho for. There's not a whole heap said about the time in Jericho here. First sentence, they're in Jericho, and then as they were going out of Jericho is where we pick up after that. They were on the road to Jerusalem, but this verse tells us quite a lot. Those old who, what, where, when, why, hows, all those sorts of things, this verse is full of them. Where were they? They were at Jericho. What are they doing? They're journeying. Where are they journeying? They're journeying to Jerusalem. Now, if you're wondering where Jericho is, modern-day Jericho and Jericho in the Bible are the exact same place. If you pulled up a map, as a crow flies, you'd go a little bit north and then east of Jerusalem. Direct flight would be 30 kilometres. If you were to drive on the road today, Google Maps tells you it'd be 44 kilometres. So that's where we are. There's more in setting up this scene. What are they doing? They're heading out of Jericho, probably towards the western side of the town, given its geography. And then we get a few who's who are present. Jesus is there, of course. His disciples, a great multitude. And out of all of those people, there is somebody singled out, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And what's he there for? He's there on the side of the road, begging because he cannot work due to his blindness. I'm not trying to labour points there. What I'm doing in explaining that is to encourage you not to skip parts of the Bible when we read it. There is so much we can draw out of this. And Mark includes so much in that one verse very, very deliberately. What I'm about to say is cliched language it's the stuff i've sat through other sermons and gone why did they use that phrase but i think it's a phrase you understand so i'm going to say it mark has used this verse in the way that he does to invite us into the narrative we're invited into the narrative here it cleverly brings us into this story this account of Jesus' life, so we can almost picture and hear, hopefully not smell the multitude, but it brings us into the narrative. It brings us into this scene that's here, one where the noise of the multitude is there. So many people that are there that you would almost struggle to know who is there, but out of all of that, there is a blind beggar who is shushed by his neighbours, but Mark and Jesus know he is there, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus, we find out in verse 37, from, found out from overhearing what was happening that it was Jesus who was passing him by. He was there on the side of the gate, on, on the side of the road begging. He couldn't see on account of being blind, but when he heard 
who was walking past, we see his response. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd don't like it. Have you ever been in one of those social settings where you're meant to be quiet and somebody talks really, really loudly? I've embarrassed Anna enough with that. I have a mild hearing loss, which isn't bad. But sometimes I talk very, very loudly to people. I was visiting a relative's church one time and the music was quite loud and the pastor came and spoke to me afterwards and the the relative I was with said, why did you yell at my pastor that whole conversation? I couldn't hear that I was yelling. Sometimes when things happen in these situations, we just, I stop, it's not the time, quieten down, don't say anything, just just shush, sit there and be quiet. Either it's the inopportune time or you're just embarrassing us. You're putting the town of Jericho to shame here. Stop it, Bartimaeus. They may not have even known his name, even though Jesus did just stop it. Now, Bartimaeus has two choices here. He can either listen to the crowd, sit there and be quiet, or he can continue to appeal to Christ. And we should be incredibly thankful that he does. He calls out a second time. And a second time, barring the name of Jesus being repeated, it is the exact same thing. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, before we go any further with this, there's a few things I'd like to just caution us about in how we take these parts of the Bible. There are some people who would say that Bartimaeus was there deliberately to see, or not see, but to hear Jesus passing by, to deliberately have a chance to appeal to Jesus, the Saviour. Now, we see later on that Bartimaeus is a man who does have some sense of faith, a measure of faith that is commended by Christ, but we see nothing in the text here to say that he was there deliberately to see Jesus. In fact, he heard Jesus was there because he heard the crowd going past. So we can't say, too, say more than what the Bible actually tells us. Another thing we need to be careful about is some people will say that Bartimaeus saying, Son of David, have mercy on me, are effectively the magic words that we say to receive God's blessings. They will look at this, see the repetition and say, those are the words you need to say if you want to receive God's blessings. Now, there is no indication here that that's the case. Where has Jesus, in the now 11, 10 chapters of Mark that we've read, where has Jesus ever once cared more about the words that were said than the heart behind the words? There's no place where we see that. This is Jesus who knew the hearts of men. The words themselves are not magical words to get God's attention. If we say these magical words, we have a trouble-free life full of wonderful, amazing blessings and rainbows and unicorns. This is not true. We see later, with the very words of Christ himself, that it's the faith of Bartimaeus that mattered. We should be thankful that Bartimaeus, while he may not have known a whole heap 
due to his blindness, probably didn't spend much time in the synagogue learning the scriptures with his, colleague, with his, uh, with his fellow people in his own age, his cohort growing up. But we should be encouraged and learn from Bartimaeus that when we face hardship, when we face opposition of people telling us not to call out to Jesus, that still calling out to Jesus is the right thing to do. That might seem like an obvious thing to say, but there are times where we need to be reminded of that. You might not need that reminder this morning. But those who are living through chronic illnesses... Professing Christians living through chronic illnesses often have family and friends who will at times take those opportunities to mock them for their faith. If God is real, what is he doing for you? Effectively treating them the same way the crowds treated Bartimaeus, sit there, be quiet. You refuse to get drunk with your colleagues at work. Just a little goody two-shoes. The condescension comes. The critique comes. So we might not feel like we need that reminder, but maybe there are some here who do need the reminder that when we face hardship and when people tell us not to cry out to Christ, we still need to cry out to Christ. And that is a wonderful thing that we see here from Bartimaeus. Now, as I said, really, it's the faith of Bartimaeus that matters, but we're not quite there yet. That's verse 52. We're still back in verse 49. Verse 49, Jesus hears Bartimaeus call out and he he calls for him to be brought to him. And if you want to see how fickle people can be, look at the response of the crowds. Just two seconds ago, mate, stop talking. Stop talking. Sit there in your blindness. Don't have any hope don't have any of those sorts of things. Now they're the ones saying, come on, mate, chin up, cheer up, he's calling for you. We see the fickleness of people. And while it's not just in this passage here, we remember all the things that have come before here, we see the fickleness of people contrasted to the consistency of Christ. So as odd as a quick response of the crowd's attitude is, or the change in the crowd's attitude is, think about how amazing that moment would be for Bartimaeus. Matthew Henry in his commentary talks about the pain that it would have been for Bartimaeus to live his life in a largely agriculturally driven society. There were other trades present as well, not able to work with his hands and his feet not able to do the things that he wanted to do, but now there is a chance that he might be able to. He has heard that Jesus is a healer, and that healer has called for him, for Bartimaeus of all this crowd, to be brought to him. He's still blind. At this point in time, he's still blind, but you can almost imagine the sense of optimism. We've had lots of presents lately. Maybe we're disappointed that we didn't get more presents, but we've had presents lately. Imagine getting that present that you've wanted. It's still wrapped up. But the box, the box underneath that wrapping, it's the right size. And if nobody's stitched you up, it's the right weight. 
You still don't know for sure that that's exactly what you've got. But you feel the optimism, that joyful, hopeful anticipation. See, this is what it is to come to Christ. There is a joyfulness. There is a hopefulness in coming to Christ. So Bartimaeus, he gets up. He goes to Jesus and Jesus, knowing what he wants, still says, what is it that you'd like? Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Now, before we get into that, I may receive my sight. The word rabbi there is important. Now, we might look at this and go, well, surely there's a typo. We know rabbi. Maybe there's a typo here. This word rabbi is only used in one other place in the Bible. What's going on with this word? It was best described to me like this. At universities, there's other awards that you can receive at tertiary institutions. But generally at universities, you receive either a bachelor's or a master's or a doctorate. Those are the things you get. Sometimes you get bored along the way, but those are the awards you can get from university. A bachelor's degree, a master's or a doctorate. In Israel at this time, there are effectively three levels of spiritual teachers. There was the rab, who hasn't got the I added onto it at the end yet, and just one B. The rab was somebody who was the local leader of a synagogue. They were located at the synagogue. That's where they ministered. That's where they taught God's word. Then you had a rabbi. A rabbi was a teacher who would call people to follow them. And rabbi means master. It's effectively the master's level of these things. And then you have this highest term of respect for a spiritual teacher of rabbi. Great master. This was normally reserved for, for men who had taught for decades, sometimes generations, to specific followers before they were granted this honourable title. It's not just master, it's great master. We see the humility, which you would expect if somebody commended from their faith. We see the humility of Bartimaeus. Now, as I said, there's only one other place in the Bible where this is used, and that's by Mary Magdalene, when she recognised the resurrected Christ. This is a tremendous thing for this guy to say. We see him here saying this to Jesus. Again, there is no indication of an attempt here just to suck up or earn brownie points. That's not what's going on. That would be a cynical and calloused reading of this text that we should not have. This here is a genuine, heartfelt expression of respect for Jesus. Just this one sentence in this two things said before this. We see Bartimaeus showing perhaps a better understanding of the Messiah than many people who have spent now three years, perhaps three and a half years with Jesus. Now, we don't want to say more about this man's faith than is made clear. 
He likely didn't spend time, as I said before, with the synagogue, with his cohorts growing up. And Jewish boys would normally spend till about the age of 12, spending significant time at the synagogue, learning the Torah, learning of the prophets. He was probably deprived of that opportunity. So we don't necessarily know that he knew all the wonderful things about the Messiah, but he seems to believe the things that he has heard about Jesus. The disciples who are with Jesus are thinking freedom from Rome. In Isaiah, which we read before, chapter 35, we see here the healing of the blind. Deaf having their hearing restored. Brokenness mended. One of the excellencies of God is that he will heal the blind. Now, arguably, Bartimaeus wasn't particularly aware of this, but he still had faith that Jesus could restore his sight. And Jesus doing this just a week or maybe even a few days before heading into Jerusalem, just a 44-kilometer drive or horse ride, whatever we want to do, away from Jerusalem. Jesus doing this now is reminding us of his divinity. He is reminding us of what God said about the Messiah. So we're not even in the events of this Passion Week. We're still in Jericho, 44-kilometer drive away. Bartimaeus has made a request. He's called Christ his great master. And at this point in time, he is still blind Bartimaeus. Until we get to the final verse, verse 52, Jesus tells him that his faith has healed him. His faith has healed him. What a wonderful thing. What an incredible thing. This man who has been overlooked, this man who has been told to shush, probably more times than we know would be called out, singled out of all those people to come to Jesus. Doesn't that remind you a bit of what God's done in our lives? That he would call us to come to him and that he would heal us? That he would spiritually Grant us sight. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. This was a guy who, we have his father mentioned here. We don't know if his father was still alive or not. But presumably there's other family around. He doesn't go home to tell his family and friends what's happened, he followed Jesus along the road. He stayed with Christ. The scales of spiritual blindness are removed from those who come to Christ in faith. Jesus did not come to lead a a revolt, a revolution against Rome. He came to deal with something far greater and he came to usher in a kingdom far greater than any other here on earth. One that isn't divided by country borders or anything like that. It is a global kingdom. It is a kingdom where there is healing, 
where there is sight restored, where there is brokenness mended, and there is comfort granted for both the most disturbing things we face and those things that we might consider so minor we don't want to bother people by telling them. There is comfort for all who come to Christ. This should challenge us. Have we developed in our minds a picture of Christ who is just there to overcome the proverbial Romans in our lives? To make us feel better when we get the sniffles? To ask for things and never honour him the way that he calls us to in the Bible? Or is Christ your rabbi, your great master? This is what he is to the now formerly blind Bartimaeus. The blindness that everyone who has faith in Christ has been treated for, that sight is now the ability to see God for who he is, to read scripture and by the Holy Spirit's help to understand it and grow in holiness. Bartimaeus could not heal himself of his blindness. We could not heal ourselves of our spiritual blindness. Both are blindnesses healed by God alone. So what's next? What's next is we follow Christ. No matter how scary the road ahead is. Now we haven't seen this for quite some time. We've mentioned it. Jerusalem, the threat of death. It's all going to be over, is how many are looking at this. The political tensions are ones that even Bartimaeus has probably overheard something about. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Essenes, all those people who had any measure of power at the time wanted Jesus out. They wanted to put an end to him. The road ahead was scary. But we need to do what Bartimaeus did and follow Christ. Christ who has met our needs. Christ who has restored our souls. And Christ in whom we can have every confidence is able to keep meeting our needs. He does this because he is God. He is infinite. He is eternal. As we prayed earlier, the weight of sin is big. The consequences for our sin are enormous. But as big as sin is, God is bigger and God is greater. And if God says, I have dealt with your sin, then he has dealt with our sin. Blindness, disbelief, anything else, there is nothing that he cannot supply for us. So the call, the call is to follow him as your great master. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for 
this incredible account of faith and the incredible account of the healing that you did. Lord God, we pray that we would have, shake, have faith that is unshakable, that we would not be deterred from coming to you by the people around us, but that we might love you and honour you and follow you through whatever lies ahead because we know that as dark as the road might be now, the cross was not Christ's final destination. Eternal glory with you was. That is where he is now and that is where we are going. So grant us boldness and confidence to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.